0: How's everybody doing? Yeah, I'm so glad you're here today. Hey, does anybody have a dog or have had a dog? Does your dog eat stupid stuff? We have a dog, and some of you know this because I talk about Rosie, our chocolate lab, all the time. I'm embarrassed to tell you some of the things she's eaten. Uh, I think my dog inspired this cartoon. Since when do we eat our wrappers with our burger? Our dog has done that. Uh, one of the things I will admit that she has eaten, she ate a cupcake with the tin foil wrapper still on the bottom. They do go through, we can verify that. It was a very colorful wrapper, we saw it twice. <laughs> I was reading about a Labrador Retriever's owner It was a Chocolate Lab also. Uh, this lab came home and went, well actually they were out at the golf course. The owner, Tim, with his, his lab, Wilson, and Wilson wasn't feeling too good when they got in the car. He was feeling a little under par, see what I did there? And uh, so he took him to the vet And because he thought, well, I bet Wilson ate a golf ball while he was out on the course. Turns out they did an x-ray. Wilson hadn't eaten one golf ball. He had eaten seven golf balls. My gosh, no wonder he was feeling bad. And uh, so this is his stomach. And I was Googling to get this picture. I was looking for Wilson, the lab who ate the golf ball. I found out this is not a rare thing for Labrador Retrievers. There are a lot of lab owners who are Googling, what do I do? My dog ate a golf ball. The winner, winner, chicken dinner is another lab named Oscar. Oscar's owner noticed that Oscar was clinking when he walked. So he took him to the vet and they discovered that he had eaten 16 golf balls. Yeah, some of them have been in there a while. And so they did the surgery and they took them all out. And he's fine back to Wilson. How do you eat seven golf balls in one outing on the golf course? Well, apparently, the vet tech said he must have found an entire bucket of them. There must have been something on it that maybe tasted good to him. So I'm like, when you eat the first golf ball, do you not realize that, ooh, this is not actually food? Seven golf balls. This is crazy. And so he did it. They did an emergency surgery on him. What would you call that, a golf ball ectomy? (laughs) I don't know what you do. They opened him up. Fortunately, when they opened him up, they discovered that he had literally reached his limit. Had he eaten an eighth, his stomach would have ruptured. So th- there's a happy ending to this. The dog was fine, probably still in the doghouse. I can't even imagine that, Vet Bill, right? But that's, that's what, just what people do. We we're talking today about gluttony, and dogs aren't the only ones that eat things that they shouldn't. We've been going through the seven deadly sins, and some of you are thinking, like, oh, this is the day I can, we're almost done. This is the seventh. We've been talking about things like, well, just the week one. Pride, the biggest of them all. And we went on through lust and anger, greed, envy, sloth. And uh, last week we talked through, I think it was greed last week. I don't even remember what all, because uh, I'm not guilty of any of them, and you're not either, right? This is just hypothetical. This is just theoretical. But what we've been doing is we've been saying, well, here's the thing that God warns us against in the Bible. And as I've said before, there is not one verse in the Bible that says, these are the seven deadly sins. But all of these are talked about in the Bible, and God warns us against them because he says, these things have the ability to ruin your life. These things can shipwreck your faith. These things can poison your relationships. These things can just do great harm to your soul and impair your future potential. So God says, for all of these reasons, I made you and I love you. Stay away from these behaviors pride, anger, lust, gluttony, all of that. But then what we've been doing is not only just like saying, well, here's the thing to avoid, but we also look at what the Bible says about, well, what is the virtue that God wants us to develop in our life that not only you know is the opposite of that but what is the thing that you can fill your life with and the behavior that you can embrace and the attitudes that you can take on that cancels that out so every week we've been doing that and even taking a habit that gets us from here to here and as we talk about gluttony one of the things that i thought about when i agreed to myself and put on the sermon calendar we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins I'm just being honest in the same way that I thought when I saw sloth was one of the seven deadly sins and I thought, really? I mean, I get it why it's a sin, but deadly? Again, when it comes to gluttony, I just feel like, how did that make the top seven of somebody's list? Are you with me on that? Like gluttony, I know it's unhealthy and you can shorten your life, but, and here's where I came down on this. I think I live in a culture that you live in that not only doesn't see a problem with gluttony, Our culture actually celebrates gluttony. I think that as much as anything kind of informed my thinking about why I look at gluttony and I go, well, I just don't know that I see a problem. Let me give you a couple of examples. I was very surprised to find this out. You know what the number one most popular kind of video in South Korea is? Yeah, all of you know that, right? You can can Google this. this. The most popular video on YouTube or anything else is one person will come in and they will sit down in front of a camera with an enormous amount of food and they will just eat. Millions and millions and millions of people love to watch those videos. And I, I, I could give you, ask me after church, I'll tell you what they are because I don't know that I could pronounce it correctly. But that's the number one, like, and that's not just their culture, our culture too. Think of what different comedians have had to say about eating. Jim Gaffigan, his entire career is built on talking about food and overeating and how many kids he has, right? Like uh, he, was, he was talking about how many people do not admit to going to McDonald's. And yet they've served billions and billions of people. So somebody's lying about not going to McDonald's. And did anybody go to McDonald's on Friday? It was French Fry, National French Fry Day. See, you won't even admit it. And he talks about the Domino's pasta bread bowl. In his words, it's like the only thing that's missing is a suicide note. It's just, we do this in America. He talks about how vacation is just going somewhere else to eat out. Like you're you're on vacation. You're talking about, what are we going to do? Well, maybe we ought to get something to eat. And then we'll go and do the thing. And then we'll go get something to eat. And they probably got food at the thing we're going to go do, right? He's just nailed Americans right there in a nutshell. That's it. We love to eat. And then there's the um, unfiltered, unvarnished Louis C.K. I love this quote. He says, and this is painful, but it's, I don't stop eating when I'm full. Nope, the meal's not over when I'm full. It's over when I hate myself. And I can relate to that, which is to say, all I'm saying is, We as Americans generally, maybe you not in particular, we find gluttony something to chuckle about, not something to be concerned about or worry about. But part of the problem, I think, when we talk about gluttony and seeing a problem here is that we equate gluttony with a couple of things. We very narrowly define gluttony, and then we let ourselves off the hook. We think of gluttony only in terms of food. We think in terms of overeating. And we say wrongly, by the way, that what we do at Thanksgiving is gluttony. It's not. That's celebrating the bountiful blessings that God has given us. God himself in the Old Testament encouraged the people of Israel, have a feast, eat everything you want, drink everything you want. That's not gluttony. The other thing we do is we associate it with just being overweight. But here's the thing. God made us in all shapes and sizes. And so you can't just assume that you have a problem with gluttony because maybe you're a little bit fluffy. And you also can't assume that you're off the hook because you're skinny. You know, this is just, and it's so much more than this anyway. A gluttonous person can be thin, a heavy person can be completely innocent of this. Gluttony is bigger than food. Here's what I mean by this 800 years ago, a Christian leader, Christian pastor, Christian scholar named Thomas Aquinas said this about gluttony. We'll get the quote up on the screen. He says, Gluttony denotes not any desire of eating and drinking, but an inordinate desire any inordinate desire. So what he's pointing out to us is that we all have appetites. We all have desires. There are all, all of us have these things that God has made us to crave or to want. Gluttony takes that normal, healthy appetite, and it amplifies it. It takes it beyond what is reasonable. I think maybe because Thomas Aquinas was a Christian, what he had in mind was something that was out of the Bible. If you've got one of these, I would highly encourage you to go ahead and take this out, and you're going to find Philippians. It's in toward the end of the Bible. If you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can pull that up that way. And if every week when we talk about it, if you've uh, been here a while and I keep talking about the Bible app and you don't know what I'm talking about, if you will download the Bible app to your phone, we'll show you how to use it. The service is on there every week, and so you don't have to be lost to how to use that thing. Or if, if none of this means anything to you, you can follow along on the screen. But these words that we're about to look at, these are out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. The Apostle Paul, a Christian leader, church planter, wrote these words back to a group of Christians that he cared about. He planted this church, and he just, in the midst of his longer conversation, he says this, for I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. Maybe they claim to be a Christian, but their, their behavior says otherwise. Now, follow me here just in the scripture. What does he say? They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their God is their stomach. Their God, literally, the word is belly. That's their God. They brag about shameful things, and they only think about this life here on earth. So this is the Apostle Paul in the Bible, Thomas Aquinas, probably thinking about what Paul wrote there when he said his words about gluttony. They're talking about the source of gluttony, not necessarily how it works its way out in your life. And what they're both saying here is that gluttony is taking that normal God-given appetite, whatever it is, and letting it run amuck in your life, elevating it to where it's the most important thing in your life. Taking something and making it your God, whether it's your belly, your appetite. So if you are taking notes in the worship folder you got when you came in, gluttony is an appropriate appetite, inappropriately fed. Nothing wrong. It's like the hunger. It's a need. But it's a hunger that's fed way too much. An inappropriate amount or in an inappropriate way. Gluttony says, I will find all of my satisfaction. I will, I will find all the pleasure of my life in my appetites and satisfying my appetites And I won't draw a line on where I stop. So the appetite may be hunger, which is, again, stereotypically, that's what we think. Gluttony is overeating, which it can be, but that's not the only place gluttony lives. Chris Donato says this. We make a mistake when discussing gluttony because we think it always involves food, when in reality it can apply apply to so many things. Toys, television, entertainment, sex, relationships, video games, It is an excess of anything. So if you think you're off the hook because you don't overeat, not so fast, partner. (laughs) This applies to all of us. And you can take gluttony into so many different areas of our lives because gluttony is about overconsumption, and anything can be overconsumed. Let me give you a very painful example. Anybody got one of these? Some of you do because I heard it. In fact, like, I think it's like just about every single American has a smartphone now. It's ubiquitous. Like nine out of ten Americans have them. Uh, have you ever had this happen to you? You ever felt your pocket vibrate? Yeah. Have you ever gone to reach into your purse or your pocket because it vibrated and you pull it out and nobody texted you, nobody liked anything on social media? Or even more embarrassing, have you ever gone to reach in your pocket because it vibrated and your phone isn't even in your pocket? Why does that happen? you ever had those phantom vibrations where you just could swear your phone went off? Well, now we know, due to brain research, we know why that happens. Those phantom things are your brain. Here's where it all starts. Researchers say our brains produce dopamine, which is the brain's way of rewarding you for doing something good or beneficial for yourself. So anytime you do something that's good, your brain goes, here's a nice little shot of dopamine, a little shot of pleasure because you did something good. So uh, if you eat a bite of delicious food, your brain gives you a little reward. That's when you go, oh, this is so good. That's dopamine working its way through your brain. Uh, If you drink something really good, like a great coffee or whatever beverage, you go, oh, that's so good, that's dopamine. If somebody likes a post that you made on Instagram, your brain gives you a little shot of dopamine. Oh, that was so nice to be patted on the back. If you have a great conversation with somebody, you get a shot of dopamine. If you exercise, if you have sex, if you do a great job on something and you get an A+, your brain gives you rewards for these things. Now, here's what we've done. Cell phones have kind of hijacked that dopamine cycle, and every time something happens on your cell phone, whether it dings, you get an email, you get a like on social media, somebody texts you or calls you, your brain goes, oh, that's great. Here, let me give you a little shot of dopamine. Now, let's take this to the next step. Dr. David Greenfield says this. Every time you get a notification on your phone, you get that shot of dopamine that says, hey, there's something compelling, text message, email, whatever. The thing is, you don't know when you're going to get the next one. And that's what compels your brain to keep looking for it. He says it's like a little miniature slot machine in your pocket. So whenever you feel the phantom vibration... That's your brain's way of saying, hey, I'm getting a little bit bored here. How about you check your cell phone because there might be something nice there and we would love to give you a little shot of dopamine, so there you go. And here's what researchers have also started to discover because 85%, almost 90% of Americans have not just a cell phone, but we have smartphones. A lot of people, a majority of Americans are now suffering from what they've termed nomophobia. Maybe I can just give you a few symptoms you can go, well, no, that's not me. Well nomophobia is the fear of losing your cell phone. And you say, well, that's stupid. Have you ever fallen asleep with your phone? You ever woke up going, oh, my phone? You ever have a slight feeling of panic when you have to hand your phone off to someone else to show them a picture or to hand it off to a tech? Have you ever checked your phone while driving? Of course you've not done that. I just saw something from AAA last month that says like, 100% of Americans say it's bad to look at your cell phone while driving, and then like 65% of them admitted in the last month they've looked at their cell phone while driving, and some of them even texted. It's nomophobia, gluttony, overconsumption of anything. It's not just food. So God, don't, don't, look, don't look at God on this one. God created the dopamine cycle for a good thing. We're the ones who kind of hijacked it and made it suit our own purposes, and we overindulge with our phones. We binge watch Netflix until four in the morning. We play Fortnite till four in the morning. No wonder we have a hard time getting to school or work, right? Yes, sometimes we eat too much. Yes, sometimes we drink too much. These are all things that go back to gluttony. But then I got to go back to a question I asked earlier. Okay, so overindulging can be bad, but why is it called a deadly sin? What is it about that? Like, you overeat. You play too many video games. Why is that bad? Well, let me give you a couple of things that I think are so bad about gluttony, why God warns us against it. Go ahead and write this down. Gluttony makes us a prisoner of our appetites. When you indulge in gluttony, it makes you a prisoner of your appetites. 1 Corinthians 6.12 in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, same guy who wrote the Philippians verse, said this. He's, he's talking to his friends. These are Christians. And he says, he's quoting them, You say, oh, I'm allowed to do anything. But then Paul says, well, hey, but not everything's good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I like how the message paraphrase puts this. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I would be a slave to my whims. And God does not want you to be a slave to your appetites. This is very important to him. It's a great book. Thomas Costain wrote it. It's called The Three Edwards. It talks about, the, this is, I know this is ancient history, but this is actually really interesting. Like 400, 600 years ago, Reynald III was the king of his region, which is now Belgium. He got in a tiff with his younger brother, Edward. His younger brother, Edward, won the battle, but he didn't kill his brother, Reynald. He decided to throw him in prison. Now, here's something you need to know about Reynald. He was a big guy. He was fluffy. They called him, his nickname was Crassus, which is Latin for just big guy, fat. And Renald was a big guy. So when Edward captured his brother, he, just, he said, I'm going to put you in prison. And they went to a castle, and they built the prison cell literally around Renaud, put him in there. But here's what's fascinating. They put a door and windows in it, and they didn't lock the door or the windows. Edward even told his brother, you are free to leave anytime you want. But remember, Renald's a big guy. They were normal-sized doors and windows, and he would not fit through them. And Edward, as he stood outside the cell, as his brother is in there, said, You are free to come out anytime. If you're willing to play nice, come out, you can even have your throne back. But Ronald doesn't fit through the door, to which you and I would say, Okay, well, that's fine. I'm gonna have a 90-day diet, and then I will walk out, and then I will trounce my brother and pound him like he deserves, and I'll take my throne back. But Edward was a smart little brother. Every day was golden corral in that cell. They took the most gourmet, delicious food. They knew everything Rinald liked, and they just brought it in there nonstop, and the dude put it away. In fact, he spent like 10 years in there and gained weight in prison. He could have walked out any time. The door was literally open. He just couldn't fit through it, but at the same time, he was a slave to his appetites. True story. Couldn't walk out. Another battle, his little brother Edward dies. They free Renaud, they tear it down, they let him out. But he had done such devastating damage to his health in that 10-year period that he died soon after. And that's what God says, I don't, can you eat? Of course. Can you eat good food? Of course. But I don't want you to go to the point where you are a slave to your belly, to your appetites in anything. That's just so important to God. But that's what we do. I want to ask you a question, and this is just between you and God. This is, you know, you don't have to say anything to me or anybody around you, but I'm just, I am just—I pray every Sunday that God will be here speaking to hearts, and I'm just wondering if there's something God's saying to you that's become just a little bit too important in your life. Maybe it's a normal, healthy, good thing that has taken over a position of authority in your life that it's now calling the shots about how you schedule your day and what you do. And maybe you feel like, yeah, I'm a little bit like Renaud. I am imprisoned by something that I can't control. Heard a powerful story from a woman named Sarah. She became a Christian, and she she started out her story by saying, like a lot of people, she had been a lover and consumer of wine her entire adult life, and she just really enjoyed it. Nothing wrong with that, in and of itself. Hear me on that, okay? But But Sarah said she began to suspect that in her life, wine was becoming more important than it should. She said, you know, I just I think it's becoming more than just a pleasure to enjoy. I think it may be controlling me. But then, that's only in her most honest moments because then she could just argue herself out of it. She'd say, you know what, I'm a grown adult. It's okay. It's a freedom that I enjoy. Uh, I work so hard. I do so much for other people. Wine is in the Bible. God made it. So it's, it's okay. But the more she thought about it, as she realized, since it's such a good thing, I could step away from it, though, on my own. And that thought filled her with panic, the idea that she wouldn't enjoy a bottle of wine every day anymore. And she realized, this thing that used to bring me joy has now got its claws in me, and it's got me around the neck, and it's not a freedom to enjoy anymore. It is something that's taken away my freedom. And I would say to you, If there's something in your life right now that maybe God is whispering in your ear, and he's just saying, you know what, maybe we just ought to let go of that for a while, and your first feeling is panic, you ought to pay attention to that. It's possible that God's Holy Spirit is saying to you, I love you too much to see you enslaved to that appetite. And I'm willing to work with you on this. But we need to turn loose of that. So Sarah, her her thought about it was, you know, she finally just caved into God and said, you know what's best for me. Actually, she said this, it's when God does convict us about something, it's less about condemnation than it is about invitation. It's an invitation into freedom. It's an invitation into wholeness, because God doesn't want us to be a slave to anything except him. Romans in the Bible says God wants us to be slaves to righteousness, which you go, well, that sounds kind of contradictory, because God says he wants me to be free, but he wants me to be a slave. What up... So here's what's up with that. The maximum amount of freedom that any human being will ever enjoy is when you are a slave to God and a slave to righteousness. And this is just something I have found to be true. It's what a whole lot of connection Christians will tell you is true. It's what thousands of Christians can tell you over the last 2,000 years that when you submit to God, you find the most freedom you'll ever have or could have ever experienced because for the first time in your life, you're no longer a slave to your passions and your whims and your emotions and your anger and your greed. And God turns you free of that. And God says, okay, now let's start focusing on the life that I meant for you. And let's start making you into the person that I intended you to be. And God says, I don't want you to be a slave to any of that. Here's another reason why gluttony is so powerfully destructive overindulgence destroys your life. It does. Over in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom. You ought to read it if you've never read it before. Proverbs 23, verse 19 through 21 says this. This is Just picture like a good dad or a good mom talking to their child. My child, listen, be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Don't carouse with drunkards or don't feast with gluttons. They're on their way to poverty. And too much sleep clothes them in rags. That's, you, know, you become who you hang with. And, and so many people will say, well, it's not a problem for me. Like, I just have one drink with lunch, but it's that drink. No, not that drink. That drink. Just one drink with lunch. And I'm not poking fun at anybody, believe me. But this leads to destruction, it leads to poverty, and God doesn't want that. Gluttony is so destructive because there's no off switch, there's not. Paul said it. He said, Your God is your belly when you are a glutton. You're, what you do in your life is dictated by the things that you've embraced. Nancy Ortberg tells about their family dog. Nancy, um, she's an author. Her husband, John, is a pastor and an author also. She says they had a golden retriever named Baxter, and they would let just go run free, and he would inevitably come in with ticks, which is one of the other things I hate about having a dog. You ever get a dog that has a tick on it? Ugh. You know, like, it's great if you can find the tick when it's just latched on, or have you ever found a tick on you and just freaked out and panicked? Those things are ugly, right? So you get the tick, and you find it on the dog. It's fine if it's there, but if it's been on the dog for a while, isn't that awful? Those things swell up to, like, 10 times their normal size. Nancy said, I became an expert in ticks. I know more about ticks than anybody should ever know, because Baxter just found them everywhere said that these ticks, once they latch on, they just have this insatiable appetite and they just suck in the blood. And then when they're full and they're going to pop, they just literally drop off and just, they flop wherever they land and they cannot move. It's like Thanksgiving at four (laughs) o'clock. And that's what the tick does. They're fully, until they digest that food, they can't move. And Nancy says, she sees a parallel with our lives it's not flattering, but I think it's true. She's got a point. She says, I have to admit that when I consider what I learned about ticks, there's a little bit of tick in me. I can sometimes be a picture of excess, not knowing when to say enough, not knowing when to stop, always wanting more. I don't know, maybe you see that for yourself too. I I do, for me personally. I, I'm glad this series is over because I'm tired of punching myself in the face. You know. Gluttony is the the deadly sin, what's the virtue that counteracts that? Well, we're going to dig deep into our vocabularies here because the life-giving virtue is a word called temperance. Yeah, everybody talks about temperance all the time, right? It's just a, and if you do think about temperance, I don't know what you think of. I think of like Carrie Nation carrying her axe into the bar in 1890, knocking over the saloon. I think of prohibition. Is that what you think of? Temperance has so much more to do than just with getting rid of alcohol. Temperance is actually, it's a great word. It means moderation, it, means, it just means not too little or too much of something. It's just the right amount, moderation or self-control or self-restraint. You can partake of a reasonable amount of something and then say no more for me. Thank you. It's, you know, or sometimes if you were to deem it necessary, you might even say for a time, I'm just going to say no to this. I know that it's a fine thing, but for me, I'm just going to have to say no for now. And I'm okay with that. That's temperance. Now, we talk about how do you get from here to here. A time tested habit, and you can probably already guess where this is going, to get you from gluttony to temperance to self restraint is fasting. And nobody likes to talk, in American culture, nobody likes to talk about fasting. I fasted before. You can fast from food, which is great. Jesus often did that. His disciples sometimes would do that. Maybe you should think about doing a fast from food. It's a time where you say no to something good so that you can take some time to think about things with God. You can fast from other things, too. I fasted from soda. uh, Longest two hours of my life. My gosh. You can do that. You can fast from media, and I've done that. Just I'm not going to listen to the news. I'm not going to read the news on the Internet. I'm not going to listen to blogs or podcasts. I'm just going to say no to it. It's amazing how clear your head gets when it's not filled with all the anger <laughs> of the news and the worry and the fear. Uh, you can take a fast from the Internet. You can take a fast from your cell phone. There's so, you can just say, you know what, for a time, it's a fine thing, but I'm going to say no to it so that I can be more awake to some other things that God is trying to show me. Fasting is a great thing. Because God loves you too much to see you waste your life on things that really don't matter, that are just of this earth. And so that's what God wants to say. I want you to have full freedom. C.S. Lewis, have you heard of him? The Chronicles of Narnia, the great Christian philosopher back in the 40s and 50s. He, he wrote this. This is a great quote. He says, what we wrongly believe would really satisfy us would be a God who said of anything we happen to like doing, eh, What does it matter so long as they're contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see the young people enjoying themselves, and a God whose plan for the universe was simply that it might truly be said at the end of every day a good time was had by all. That's what a lot of us want, but is that really in our best interest that God would just say, whatever you want, as long as you're having a good time, enjoy yourself? I'm thankful that God is not like that. He loves you too much. He loves you too much. He loves you too much. He loves you too much to just let you destroy your life by overindulging your appetites. The Apostle Paul, there's another verse in Corinthians. This is the same group that he had to say, hey, everything's okay, but not everything's good for you. He said about himself, he said, don't you realize in a race, everyone runs? This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24. There's a race. Everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize. So as a Christian, here's what you want to do. You need to run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training, and they do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we, as Christians, we, we train for an eternal prize. Now, you go down to verse 27. Paul talks about himself. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. This is really important to listen to. I'm one of the pastors here. I care about you. I love you as my family. And I'm just telling you the truth. If there's something that God's saying to you, look, this is just not good for you, you ought to lean into that and listen to that. I'd be happy to talk with you. We have great elders here and other godly men and women who would just be happy. Because here's the thing. In this church, one of the things that we're here to do is be here for each other. And if we can't turn to each other with the things that we're struggling with and say, hey, would you just pray for me real quick? Would you just listen to me for a little bit? Then what are we doing here? It's not just about coming here, sitting here for an hour and then leaving. We really are here for each other. And this is a place I have found over the years to be a place where, where good things happen. And people in relationships really do care for each other. So if you're, you're dealing with something don't deal with it alone. Get somebody to listen to you and walk along and carry this burden with you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And this is like, there's a hundred, whatever number of people are here. I want to see this many commitments. I would love it if you would just simply think, God, what is it that you would like me to fast from this week? And you pick a time and you pick a thing and you fast from it. Maybe for you it is food. Maybe it is soda, caffeine. Maybe it is the internet. Maybe, I don't know what it is but you do. I have a feeling that you do. Will you just ask God's help in that? Maybe even open up to somebody here and just take them to coffee, hang around after church and just chat for a minute. But don't walk out of here without doing anything with this. I mean, this could be a turning point for you in your life. And maybe it's not even the message today. Maybe it's one of the other deadly sins that God says, I love you too much to see you ruin your life with anger or pride or lust or sloth or greed or envy. Let's do something about that now. There's never going to be a better time than today to start doing something about it.